This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Today's guest, Abra Lee, has had an 18-year career in horticulture as a county extension agent with the University of Georgia, as the lead landscape manager at the Atlanta airport and then the Houston airport, and as a freelance horticultural writer and educator. She is a member of the 2019-2020 cohort of Longwood Fellows, studies in advanced horticultural and public horticultural management at Longwood. Gardens. She's here to share more of her journey. Welcome, Abra. Thank you so much for having me. You made me sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are cool. Otherwise, I wouldn't have invited you to be on the program, Abra. Let's be clear. Um, Thank you. I have followed you for quite a while on places like Instagram, and I have always been just intrigued by your 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 story, your work, your perspective. I would like you to describe for listeners what you currently do in relation to plants and flowers and horticulture right now. What does that kind of look like every day, both professionally and personally in your own garden practice at home, Abra? So what I do right now currently is I am a freelance writer. I do garden speaking and I am a person that finds myself as a horticulturist, but I see myself in the business of education. Mm -hmm. And I am at the intersection of gardens, culture, and style. So I don't necessarily come off as a person that's like, hey, this is how you plant your tomato. I'm more of the person that's going to take someone like a Beyonce and then talk about the alleys in the background to try to really educate you on garden design or garden history. So... I love I love this intersectional conversation, and I'm sure it's exactly why I, I love following your work. Take us back a little bit to like the earliest people and plants and places that grew you into the plants person you are today that would be interested in this intersection, these intersections, and using them as platforms for educating people about plants. So my earliest influences and the reason I found myself at this intersection, I would definitely say is my mom's side of the family. She is from the dirt road country of Barnesville, Georgia. So shout out to Lamar County, <laughs> the real country <laughs> in Georgia. And my aunts grew up on this farm. My mother grew up on the farm too. My great grandparents, it's a family farm. And my earliest memories were just being down there. We visited on the weekend. So I thought everybody lived in Atlanta in the city during the week and went down to the country farm on the weekend. And, and that was really all I knew growing up. And I just remember my uncles and aunts just being these women that were just so stylish. And I remember the quilts in the home and I remember the fresh food. So all I saw them was is luxury. You know, mm -hmm. I just really saw these as fancy people and they were really country people. And I just remember thinking, you know, I loved how beautiful they were. And I also loved just their rural African-American garden. I mean, it was truly, truly that with the workspace in the back and the garden space in the front. And I just felt like that was the way to tell my story and to tell my truth, to find that intersection and to, to acknowledge them through my work. Yeah. And tell us about the, the journey of like growing up and how you got from there to 
to especially your your earliest work in your career, and then we'll move along in your career to what takes you to to Longwood in just a few short weeks. Um, you know, so where where did you go to school, and what did you study, and how did you start to bring style and culture into your plant work? So I went to school at Auburn University uh, in Auburn, Alabama, so War Eagle to any Auburn fans out there listening. And (laughs) I did not go with the intent of horticulture. Again, I had that early influence from going to Barnesville as a child on the weekends. And then also, this was inadvertent. My father was director of parks for the city of Atlanta growing up. Mm. And I grew up in an urban forest in Adams Park, which is a neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia. So the outdoors was always a part of my life. I just did not know that it could be packaged into an education or a career. And fast forward to Auburn and I'm changing majors left and right, trying to figure out my life, you know, always being in these classrooms with 300 people, no windows. And one day I was on the uh, campus transit and I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing these kids. This was before iPads and all that stuff. They're taking notes up under this yellow sugar maple and it's like 75 degrees in the fall. And I'm like, y'all in class like this? You getting a grade for this? How, how does this work? <laughs> and so someone was like, oh, I, I did my research. And someone was like, oh, that's Ag Hill. Those are the horticulture students. And I was like, you know what? Sign me up. That's what I'm about to do. And that's really how I got into it, because I just was envious that they were just out here chilling you know, enjoying right. like fresh air. And I was stuck in my, you know, windowless classroom. <laughs> um, oh, the windowless classroom. It's inspired so many people, hasn't it? It um, has. Yeah. So, so you, you, you get through Auburn, you switch mm-hmm. your major, mm-hmm. talk about becoming an extension agent and, and the kind of lessons that that brought you. So I became an extension agent when I moved back to Atlanta after being um, landscape manager at Bush Airport in Houston, Texas. Mm. And I came back. My parents were starting to get older and I got into extension. Honestly, it wasn't intentional. It was me moving back to my hometown looking for a job. But it really ended up aligning the right way because my mother is a retired educator. I'm sorry, educator and extension really helped me to understand, you know, I really am in the business of education. I just happen to be a horticulturist. Mm -hmm. So that, that really helped me to understand, um, just my lane and, and how I could communicate with people. And one of the things that I really stood out in extension was when I would have to help people with their problems, I always found myself trying to translate it in a scientific way, the way I've been taught. Mm-hmm. I would say it in school because I worked for UGA. It's a university. That's how it's scientific, you know, research-based information. But I found that people just really wanted me to be me. And mm-hmm. when I was explaining something to my homegirls over the phone, I was talking one way. But when I was coming to work, trying to explain it to the general public, I was being so scientific. And I was like, you know, let me just talk to them the way I would talk to my loved ones. And when I saw that people were open to that and accepting. I was like, this, this is how I'm going to communicate from now on. I don't have to code switch. I can just be Abra and and educate the public about horticulture my way. Yeah. Um, you have, uh, you have a great story in, in an interview that I read with you where you said, uh, you described talking to, you know, kind of a quote unquote garden lady. And she had said something about the word garden versus the word yard. And, um, Talk about talk about 
that that code switching there and your take on that because I could so easily have been that garden lady and and, mm-hmm. and the reason is you know I come again from like a schooling and a background where they say you know a yard is at school a yard is at a prison a yard is at a ship or lumber mm-hmm. facility it is not a, associated with your house and so mm-hmm. I like I like the word garden but when I read your response I was like that is so true. That is so true. Mm. Like, how big a deal is this? <laughs> and it was a great like moment for me reading your words and thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grow with that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for saying that, and just thank you for even being open to understanding another cultural perspective. So, from my community, the Black community, the yard. If first, I'll start. The first way I was probably introduced to a yard was again back in Barnesville, and mm-hmm. that is the the place where the front porch is, the porch swing, you know, somebody's coming out with sweet tea, you are welcome there. That is where the yard art is. That is where all the garden ornamentation is. And that is where you're greeted first. And that's what we call it. And if I take it to the next level, um, the HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities, when um, the fraternities and sororities are coming out, they come out on the yard. Like that is a very big deal in black colleges for everyone to meet up on the yard. So for us, that's such a positive like welcoming, how you doing, sis type of space Mm -hmm. that when we use it, when black people use it, when people in the South use it, it's coming from a place of love. And when people correct that and say, oh, no, it's not a yard, it's a garden. Oh, no, it's not a bush, it's a shrub. (laughs) I feel like. (laughs) And you you say the same thing about dirt. You're like, it's, you know. (laughs) Right. It's right. And I got to tell you, I started off my career doing that and I had to realize, you know, don't forget who you are. And I'm saying all this to say is that when we correct people's words mm. in garden writing and horticulture, mm. we are diminishing their identity and who they are. And we don't have to do that. We don't have to all sit around and talk and read and speak like we're British garden writers. <laughs> I love and respect, but you can totally be like the little black girl from the South and talk like that and still have a little in- of, of intellect about you without, you know, feeling like you got to correct or shrink yourself in these spaces through your language or shrink anybody else. I mean, that was what really, that was what really resonated with me. I was like, wow, that's true. That's yeah. And I love, you know, I love learning botanical names. I love, you know, I love sort of spreading my own or expanding my own knowledge and vocabulary. But Mm -hmm. this, this take you gave me on it of, um, yeah, it just it was it was great. So I really appreciated that. Now, so can you give us an example of the kind of work you were doing with the extension agency that uh, kind of started to move you in the direction of even more educational outreach and um, like more purpose with what you were doing with your education Um because I feel like that experience must have grown you in your ability to help uh, a, a little bit like you've already described, you know, as it taught you like, oh, I can be me and actually teach people or, ha- you know, inform and educate. Uh, but I'm guessing there are some specific examples of of exact problems you had to deal with. Yeah. So the the first and I think the most influential educational example for me, really didn't start at Extension. It started at Atlanta Airport, and I'll tell you the reason why. It is because when I became landscape manager there, I inherited a team. And it was a team of all Black women and a Black gentleman and of some Latino gentlemen. 
And so these were some of the people literally had no experience with plants at all. And I remember thinking, you know what? I'm just going to go through the horticulture 101 book and teach them. And the book starts off with soil profiles and, you know, loam <laughs> and, you know, acidic and pH. And I'm literally trying to teach them this stuff. And everybody's just looking at me like glazed over eyes, like, girl, you tripping. And really, I realized, you know, I'm looking around the room and I'm looking at their hairstyles, their nails, just their lunches, just things like that. I'm like, you know what, if you understand cornrows and, and braiding hair and these elaborate shapes, you surely can understand a parterre, right? You can understand these things. If you understand your nails are monochromatic this week and then the next week they're bejeweled, you can definitely understand a perennial garden and ornamentation. And when I started teaching to them and talking to them, like finding that common ground, yeah. that is what got them to be like, oh, I can do this. I've been doing this. And I'm like, yes, girl, you are creative. Yes, you can do this. Yes, you do have these talents. And it just helped me to understand you don't have to just start people off the way the book says, you can start with the back of the book. You can start with design. You can start with the end picture and then get them to want to get the soil prof profile part. But you just have to meet people where they are and find yeah. where it's interesting to them. Yeah, I love that. So much to follow up on there. But uh, let me go back to my first question that I have, mm -hmm. which is, so you graduate from school. How old are you when you take your first job at an airport? And, and how did you even find that job? So I graduated from school in uh, 2002, December 2002. So I came out maybe about a, a year later than my peers. And I've been very open about this on social media. I was not a good student. I failed out of Auburn, returned and earned my horticulture degree. Super proud of that. Yeah. You know, owned it my whole career. And honestly, that's what got me in bigger spaces. So mm -hmm. I come out of school. I work for uh, a landscape company, an interior plant company. I'm an arborist for the city of Atlanta. And then I find out about a job opportunity as landscape manager at Hartsville-Jackson Airport. And I was 28 years old. And so it was, I didn't realize this at the time, but after interviewing for leadership, sub subsequent leadership positions, one of the, the key things that I know got me in that job, number one, I was qualified. I had the experience from Auburn. I had worked as an intern for two different companies, you know, prior to even graduating from school. So I really kind of knew what they were looking for when they didn't. And they didn't have any curb appeal at the airport. And during the interview, I just let them know that, I mean, honestly, the landscape was trash. And, you know, <laughs> this is the look they were going for. That was cool. But I had worked for, and I'm not trying to name drop. I just want your your audience to understand the context. I had worked at Arthur Blank's house as an intern. And I didn't know the man. But I saw what it looked like to garden at a billionaire's level. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. You know, it was just like a whole different spectrum of detail. Mm -hmm. But I also understood that detail because I understood Barnesville and I understood the level of detail from my family yeah. in, in their, on their little farm. And so I pretty much explained it to the airport and, and they hired me. And I, it, it is important to note that there were, again, I'm in Atlanta and this is a city that's 50% black. So even during the hiring process, there were many people of color on that interview panel. And I really think that was the difference in me getting in the job because people were able to see themselves in me and able to hire me where subsequently when I would go up for these positions and not have anyone of color on the hiring board, I never had enough skills. I, I was never enough to be the director or the whatever. Mm -hmm. So that is how I got that job. Again, I was 28. So I had a lot of courage to 
you know, tell them about themselves at the time. And again, I'm working with people who really no one had an expectation from these. Like I said, these, these men and women really didn't have much garden experience behind them. And we became an award winning pro- program um, yeah. at the time. And that was between 2007 and 2012. And I'm seriously to this day, very proud of that and the people that worked on my team. If you're just joining us, I'm Jennifer Jewell. And today on Cultivating Place, we're speaking with Abra Lee, horticulturalist, educator, and now about to be student again as one of the 2019-2020 Longwood Fellows in Advanced Horticultural and Public Horticultural Management. We'll be back after a break to hear more about her journey. Stay with us. Hey. So when you think of public horticulture, or rather when I think of public horticulture, I'm seriously heartened and hopeful to think of it being brought to bear with critical cultural eyes in places like airports and public squares, as well as in public gardens. Because this literal common ground really does meet us where we are, and perhaps where we might least expect it, but need it most. Where we need to be reminded and to remember that we live on a planet made possible by plants. Diverse lives daily made possible by our astounding diversity of plant life. And all of us are made better by both of these things. Plant the change you want to see. This is a refrain in my own life right now. Abra is planting the change she wants to see with actions, with courage, with plants and with astute observation. May we all be so brave and bright. Now back to our conversation with Abra Lee and her ongoing adventures and career in public horticulture and its transformations. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Welcome back to our conversation with Abra Lee, horticulturalist. Before the break, Abra shared with us some of her experiences and insights as a younger Black woman growing and working in public horticulture, including the importance of meeting and honoring people where they are in order to share the love of plants, gardens, and design, and the importance of owning your own life its beauties, its truths, with courage, which is part of what landed her the job of landscape manager at Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, also known as the Atlanta International Airport. We come back with Abra sharing more about her work on social media under the name Conquer the Soil. So you're at the two different airports. You're Mm -hmm. a county extension agent. Mm -hmm. You get on social media at some point. Talk about your name, especially on Instagram, because that's where I know you the best, and your kind of hopes for this platform. Because somewhere in between all of these stories, the the Auburn journey, the airport journey, the extension agent, the the style and horticultural outreach, they all kind of come together in your social media platform, the, the way I see it. And 
This is a powerful resume of hopes and dreams and accomplishments that you are going to take forward with you. So start us with with your name on Instagram and uh, what what you are there and what you do there. So my name on Instagram is Conquer the Soil. And um, what I do there, my hope is that I inspire and educate people to plant in their truth. And so what I mean by that is just give these random stories, these untold stories, things that I wish someone had taught me mm-hmm. in the university that like literally I never learned. Literally, I never knew there were these other people out there that looked like me that did these things, you know, aside from Dr. George Washington Carver. Mm-hmm. And when I started digging these up post-graduation, I was just like, this is crazy. Like, this is the kind of thing people need to see, because during that time, I was the only black person in, in horticulture in Auburn, in, period, ornamental or productive. And yeah. it really is hard when you don't see someone that looks like you in that space to understand where you're coming from. And yeah. so little things, what I mean by that, when I did work in jobs and I, and I had uh, manager positions and I had, again, women of color on my team and they're outside sweating and the uniform is a baseball cap, but really they just want to protect their edges and wear a turban. I'm the boss that's like, you know what? It's okay. You can wear the turban like, and still get the job done. And it's those little things people don't think about because it's just the cultural things that when you feel like yourself, you can do your job better. So I just want people to read Conquer the Soil and just see if they don't see themselves in it, that's fine. You just know that that you're just learning something new that maybe you didn't know, you know? Um, and then also the name for me, it was very intentional. So I was reading a book called the souls of black folks, uh, mm. uh the souls of black folks by the, uh, African-American intellect WB Du Bois. And there was a passage in there and he talked about the three gifts that the enslaved Africans gave to America. And it was the gift of story and song. It was the gift of sweat and brawn. And it was the gift of spirit. And when he talked about the gift of sweat and brawn, he talked about the African, uh, the enslaved Africans' ability to beat back the wilderness. And then he said, conquer the soil and lay the foundation for this vast economic empire. And when I read that, I froze. And I was like, because I, mm-hmm. I, I felt it and I felt my ancestors. And I was like, you know what? My family did conquer this soil. And I knew that was the name that I wanted to use um, to encourage people to just kind of plant in their truth and, and, and you know, just know that they were represented and, and know that they were seen. Yeah. I just have to pause around that for a minute because that's pretty powerful, Abra. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So you have recently decided to go for further studies at Longwood Gardens. And uh, one of the reasons I reached out was that I did an interview last year with a member of the last year's cohort, um, Eleanor Gould, and right before she was entering in. So I thought this was a really nice follow up to that. I believe you are the third cohort in the current kind of manifestation of this advanced horticultural studies program. First of all, I would love for you to describe for us like what what is Longwood? What is this program? And then we'll talk a little bit more about what you will hope to do there. And um, and and yeah. 
So Longwood Gardens is um, one of the great gardens of the world. I mean, seriously, top five. And if you look at even the top 10 gardens in the world, it's the only um, American garden that makes the list. And I say that in air quotes because, you know, people can say, oh, my mama's garden, the best one in the world. And honestly, (laughs) it is, if that's your truth. So I'm not arguing that. Um, It is the legacy of uh, Pierre DuPont. And it's in that Brandywine Valley in Pennsylvania, where Mm -hmm. I think they've got about like 30 something gardens within an hour's drive of each other. So um, I was first introduced to Longwood when I went up to Philadelphia when I was working in airports and I went to a Green Roofs and Healthy Cities conference and I just visited Longwood. I think this was back around like 2010, but I never even envisioned or knew I would be working there one day. And Mm. um, last year, I just happened to see an announcement on Twitter and they were accepting people uh, applications for their fellowship program. And I said, you know what, why not me? And and I ended up applying. Um, the, with the fellowship program, um, because it's specifically for leadership and public horticulture, there's definitely a track where they're preparing you to be um, in a leadership position of a botanical garden or mm-hmm. a, a display garden. is Because Longwood is very clear that they're a display garden, not a botanical garden. Um, so what that means is that, yes, I might end up as a director of a, a garden somewhere or, you know, I may use the tools that I learned there to do other things. They do bring in thought leaders and business people and intellects from, you know, that area all over the world to help you uh, learn to grow, to understand leadership at all levels, to work with boards, to work with um, problematic uh, situations that may occur to you. So mm-hmm. something like that may mean. Um, you're trying to get a bridge built for this garden and the donor um, has the money to build it, but maybe their political history is different than the interest of that community. Let's say it's a minority community and they support programs that are very much the opposite of that. Hmm. That's a conflict of interest. So can you really take that money or do you have to go another way or is there a delicate way to do that? Things that I don't know now. So that's what I'm really excited about, just trying to understand you know, these different perspectives and, and how to bridge these gaps um, while I'm there. There's also a, because it's a 13 month fellowship, there is an eight week period where you are assigned to a garden outside of the country. And I think the countries are France, Ireland, England, New Zealand, Singapore, and I think Canada and Mexico. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure where I'll end up yet, but that international component is like huge for me because I've never worked overseas, though yeah. I've traveled overseas. So that is, that's everything to me. Yeah. So when you think about the, well, first of all, let me ask this, what kinds of horticultural curriculum do you have there? Um, Or is it pretty much primarily uh, that they assume you to have a pretty strong horticultural background and they are going to mostly focus on leadership and administrative kind of skills? That's correct. So coming in, they pretty much know you have a strong horticultural background. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have checked, (laughs) like they have (laughs) checked it out, like TSA level checked your background. So, um, they know where you stand. And there are some people that I work with that have worked with boards, but maybe they don't have the plant experience. So let me not say that all the fellows are, and I'm saying this again, air quotes, like plant experts, Mm -hmm. some of them may have worked more on the administrative side and they are there maybe to get more uh, botanical input. I mean, as for me, Definitely the leadership and administrative part, because working in public service for the city of Atlanta and the city of Houston is far different than working at a private garden 
in a leadership capacity where you're dealing with donors and, you know, a board of directors. Um, and also I am there to understand one of the things that I did request was to be matched with a mentor because I love that Longwood is a display garden. I'm very interested in how all of their designs tell a story. They're not just like, you know, Craig Myrtle, Laura Petalum, Lirio, let's get it done. It's really like these three people, I mean, I'm sorry, these three cactuses represent the three children and this, you know, stone path represents a river. So there, I love the storytelling aspect. Yeah. And that is what I wanted to learn um, while I was in there uh, as a fellow, along with the leadership. Right. And how many students are there in each cohort each year? So there are, well, this year there are six. Okay. Um, the one that is the class of 2019, what Eleanor is in, there are five of them. So okay. it's myself, um, Nanette Wraith out of England, uh, Barbara, who's out of New Zealand. There's Maylin Plummer out of North Carolina, there's Becky out of North Carolina, and then there's me out of Georgia. Yeah. And I did notice that they're both last year and this year's cohort are all women. What do you think about that? I noticed that too. Um, we, they did. So when we, we went for the interview, there were 10 of us and we did a group interview. And honestly, you know, in that moment, I already felt like I was already my ancestors' wildest dreams to, you know, come from great grandparents that were sharecroppers to being like at the seat of the table at Longwood, you know, interviewing like I had won regardless of what happened. So I will say that the gentlemen um, that interviewed me were phenomenal, as were the women. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, I think that women, um, are the future of horticulture. We have a voice. Um, I think that it's exciting that it's all women because my career for the most part has always been working with men in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, I did have a staff that had five black women on it, but the rest of the 20 people were all men. Mm -hmm. So that is very new for me to be such in such a, a, a female focused environment. And that's pretty exciting. But I just think, think it speaks to the fact that, you know, we care about horticulture, we're excited, and we want to claim our rightful place at the leadership table. Yeah. We deserve it. Abra Lee is a Black female horticulturalist. Throughout her career to date in the field of public horticulture, as an extension agent, as a city arborist, as the landscape and horticulture manager and lead at the Atlanta International Airport, she has seen how gardens and landscapes can be places of exclusion for many, places of white privilege and often male white privilege, especially at the top levels of management. As she continues in her own career path, she intends to keep working on transforming that exclusion into full inclusion, no matter who you are. We'll be right back after a break with more of our conversation with Abra. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week. Many of you know that I'm back recently from a family gathering that took me to Hungary, Austria, Germany, the Slovak Republic, and the Czech Republic. To observe the incorporation of horticulture in public spaces throughout this journey, of course led to my own internal dialogue, comparing and contrasting the cultural standing of horticulture in the U.S. versus what it felt like it was being incorporated as an outside observer in these other countries. 
To observe the incorporation of horticulture in public spaces throughout this journey, of course, led to my own internal dialogue, comparing and contrasting the standing of horticulture in the U.S. versus the way it felt like it was incorporated in these other countries. This ultimately brought up questions of why and how. Why and how horticulture came to be held differently in different places. Why do some towns, cities, and countries proudly incorporate horticulture into their very identities and others not? Why are window boxes and wildflower roadside verges embraced in some communities and not others? What is this about? And what does it say about any of us over time and space? I was not alone in this contemplation this last month. Several of you, Tucker Fitzpatrick of Southern California, Jenny Harris of the San Juan Islands in the Pacific Northwest, both shared similar musings with me and offered out some thought-provoking ideas. To hear Abra's memories of the beauty and richly detailed garden spaces of her childhood in Barnesville, Georgia, in fact, makes me want to hear more from others. What strikes you about how you came to see, and perhaps even how you felt seen in or by, plants, gardens, and landscapes culturally, wherever you came from, in the background of your own life? Why do you think this was so? What made it valued or devalued? I'd love to hear about your thoughts on these issues if you'd like to share them. Please send me an email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com, or leave comments on the weekly post of this episode on Instagram or Facebook. Because the more we know and understand where we are, the faster and more effectively we'll be able to get to where we want to be, including a place that has healthy, fully inclusive, and reflective embrace of plants and dynamic landscapes into more aspects of each of our every days. Now, back to our conversation with Abra Lee on Instagram at Conquer the Soil. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're back to our conversation with Abra Lee, horticulturalist. After 18 years in a diversity of public garden and horticulture leadership positions, she is a member of the 2019-2020 Longwood Fellows in Advanced Horticultural and Public Horticultural Management. In her studies, she intends to take her skills, talents, and passions to the next level, to the great benefit of us all. She shares now some of her hopes and goals in this next phase of her career. You know, it, it was interesting to note it because a big deal was made, what, two years ago now when um, the first woman ever was uh, named to be the head of the New York Botanic Garden. And so there is a lot of making up we still have to do. And that's interesting to hear because I, I didn't follow up on that in your early experience of, you know, was it just cultural uh, discrepancy in terms of what you were seeing above you, uh, or was it also a gender one? And, and clearly it was both. So when you think about what, you know, your your history that you've shared with us and, and your mother and your aunts and the way they garden and your great-grandmother and the way she gardened and moving into this new space, 
what do you hope to take with you and grow the environment you're entering in, in new ways that are hopefully uh, well received and much needed. And and where like where do you see yourself going from there so that you don't you don't lose any of these great sort of streams of thought in the the culture, the style, the plants, and the history, mm-hmm. and and you take it out even further into the world, Abra. So what I hope to achieve is to not have botanical or display gardens or even formal gardens or garden tours looked at these places of privilege, particularly white privilege. Because when I've gone on the garden tours, when I've been in the botanical gardens, it's usually majority, except for, again, Atlanta is a huge exception. You're going to see older, white, maybe a a certain level of economic prosperity in these spaces. And I want the person who... Honestly, is the Latino guy wearing the cowboy boots that curl up and his, you know, fresh, you know, cowboy shirt and cowboy hat. I want him to feel as comfortable in this garden as the sister that has, you know, a gold tooth and dreadlocks. Like these are their spaces, too. And they just aren't even if they're in them, they're not seen. If even if you look at botanical garden Instagrams, when there are people, you have to scroll back months, sometimes years to even see a snapshot of a person of color in one of their pictures. And that's crazy to me because that is not what our country looks like. Our country, diversity comes in a lot of shapes. It's not just black and white. It's Asian. It's people, you know, with uh, a prosthetic leg. It's the length, like there's so many things. There's a language. And I do not see that diversity represented in these gardens, like physically, or even on these home pages, And again, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at gardens are competing with museums. They're competing with the next national park services. They're competing with the symphony. All of these, all of these entities have works to do, but gardens, particularly, we still kind of, we don't, we won't publicly say it, but we kind of still want a certain person in our garden, like someone that, you know, fits the, the profile, whatever that's supposed to mean. And I don't want people to feel like that. I want to say, you know what, this garden is for you. You shit Longwood. I, it's crazy that I have to explain to my friends what Longwood is. They don't know anything about it. And maybe it's just because, you know, it's never been exposed to them because you're not going to see a representative from Longwood at the Essence Festival, where it's like the biggest gathering of black women, you know, in the world for this weekend over the 4th of July. And to me, I'm saying, why not? You know, why aren't you in these different spaces, attracting these people. So when I leave, I hope to literally be that, you know, person that is raising the flag and say, come on, y'all, this place is for you. You don't just have to, uh, my, my colleague, um, Terry speak uh, from the guard communicator. She always says, you know, quote, we don't, uh, we grow more than collard greens. That's her word. And I feel her. And it's not to insult by any means the farmers. It's to say, you know what? You belong in these ornamental spaces with these David Austin roses and these, you know, formal designs. Like these are your spaces too. So I do see myself as a bridge. I see myself maybe as a botanical garden leader. And I definitely see myself probably getting into more visual media, which I never thought of because there's no limit on that. And for people to see my Instagram is one thing, but for people to see a video of my body in it, you know, saying, hey, we're going to Q this weekend. We're going to the Chelsea Flower Show. We're hitting up uh, Lotus Land in Santa Barbara. People will be like, oh, cool. I'm going to hit this up too and know that they're they're okay there and they're welcome. 
And I, I do think, I mean, just as you expressed at, it, early in your career where you, you know, were sitting in front of a hiring committee that included, uh, you know, people that looked like you, that as soon as we as a whole group of gardeners insist that the representation is more representational, then that just like the language issue we were talking about earlier, like it breaks down so many barriers because we know that no matter how many marketers might might say that, you know, gardening is affluent and white, that it's not true, that everyone we know gardens, every every culture, every socioeconomic level, like we all derive joy and we all find common ground there. And so I, you know, and I, I, sound like a broken record because I say this on multiple interviews, but it's up to us, the gardeners, to say that that is that does not look like the reality of gardening in my life. Yeah, it doesn't. And if somebody like myself and this is not to to brag on myself, but these are these are receipts. These are facts. I have the horticulture degree. You know, I have been an extension agent. Yeah. I have been a landscape manager for two international airports. I have been a municipal arborist. I am an upcoming fellow at Longwoods and I still don't even feel comfortable in these spaces. Like, what does it say for the regular, regular average person? So because I can check those boxes and now God, you know, thank you that they put me in a, in a great position with Longwood. I can actually be in the room and speak for all these people that just aren't, you know, and it's not that I should have to speak for, for these people. They should be able to speak for themselves, but because I'm there and I'm seen and I know they will listen, I do get to relay the message and say, you know what? These are the folks you need to talk to. I'm just a, a middleman messenger. These are the people that, you know, come support you. This is your public. Yeah. And and in some countries, you know, I'm not c- countries, but in some cities, maybe that is your public. I'm not trying to ram minorities or people of color down, you know, uh, Loxley, Alabama's throat if, if it really is a more rural white population there. I'm just saying reflect the population you serve yeah. and, and do it in an intentional and real way. Don't just try to like tick off brown boxes or, or women boxes just because it's like the on-trend or cultural shift thing to do. Like do it and be intentional and and be honest about it. Yeah, yeah. So I want to circle back to you personally as a gardener. What's your your daily, weekly, monthly garden practice, Abra? And what, what does your home garden look like? Or if you are getting ready to pack it up and say goodbye, what has it looked like for you? So what, (laughs) so I've got a kind of, dual garden situation. So I live in a condo, uh, me and my, my boyfriend, Chris, we live in a condo in Atlanta and I have my neighbor, Alice, who's on the other side of this wall. I have gifted her all of my, um, <laughs> my, my plants because yeah. they were in containers. I've been in a condo and I'm leaving in two weeks. So, right. uh, Chris wasn't going to take care of them. So I just wanted to make sure that the plants didn't, you know, die a slow death. I wanted <laughs> to keep them going. Um, <laughs> so my mom still is in Southwest Atlanta and she has this beautiful yard. I call it a yard. And, and honestly, it wasn't even, uh, I wasn't trying to be intentional. It was a natural <laughs> for me to say her yard, um, fully wooded, full of trees. And she does a lot of container gardening. Um, so I'll take care of the flower. She has just like a lot of lilies coming up. Um, she has some irises, which are, are not coming up anymore. And again, I, I say this, it's important I brought up that she has a container garden is because that's a very African-American way to garden. And what I mean by that, just historically, 
if you look back and you really research African-American gardens, and these were gardens of transiency, meaning the land was constantly taken from us and we constantly picked Mm-hmm. of our garden to get with us. And that's why you end up with all these different pots and different styles and what I guess some people would translate as bric-a-brac and they call it like the most unselfconscious of the, the landscape designs. And it's so true because it's a very personal, I don't care what anyone else type thinks type garden. So I t- take care of that for her. I don't have to take care of her yard per se because these plants are established. I just really deal with what's in her containers and I'm constantly moving them around. Mm-hmm. And that is something that she just grew grew up doing naturally because she watched her aunts do it and they watched their aunts do it. And you're just constantly like rearranging this garden space for no other reason besides self-satisfaction. I'm like, that's what garden's supposed to be anyway. It's not supposed to be, this is the right way or the only way, or I'm going to get into some like Twitter fight with people over their gardening practices and (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Like we make it way more intense (laughs) than it needs to be. So the fact that I have given away one of my gardens and I'm working on my a mother's garden. It just like really allows me to be in these, you know, dual spaces and just, just be chill and be like, you know what? It's, it's really about just going with it, going with the flow. Yeah. So I I think you've answered this, but I'm going to ask it in case there are things you would like to add to it. Um, When you look at all that you have done and all that you are doing in any of these arenas, whether it's at home rearranging your mom's pots with her for whatever's in bloom or whatever feels nice today, um, whether it's on your social media, whether it's in studies or, or conversations or garden speaking what are what are your greatest joys and how do you measure success for that at this point? Um, my greatest joys are when people that that don't look like me. I I write intentionally and I, you know, do everything I do every day for an audience of black women. Like that is my avatar and I'm 100% okay with that cuz I don't feel like enough people are writing to them anyway. Mm -hmm. But what I love is when that little old lady from the garden club with the pearls and the pink Cadillac is like, that's exactly how my grandmama's garden look. And I'm like, see, you know, we're one big complicated family. We might be the (laughs) South, but we're family nevertheless. So I love when people see themselves when I'm in this space that I'm completely owning reflects my culture. I love when people see those commonalities and that makes me so happy, you know, yeah. to, to see these people, um, just, just identify and, and, and get it. Um, my, and I did mention this before, my end goal is to get people to garden in their truth, plant in their truth, whatever that means to you. Again, there is no right way. It does not matter. You know, of course I've been formally trained now. I am going to be like, these aren't drifts and you've got you know, one plant here when you should really have a group of seven to five. (laughs) That's because I was taught those things. Now I'm just like, you know what? Do you and rearrange and grow the way you want to grow, but don't let outsiders, these formerly trained people, the master gardeners, horticultures, of course, let them educate you, learn. But if you're happy like that with your red mulch, and it took me a long time to accept that made people happy. I'm okay with that. I just want to meet people where they are to help them learn more about horticultural history, specifically on the ornamental side. Yeah. When you're, uh, as your mother and or any, you know, living aunts, siblings, et cetera, see you off on this next phase of your journey, what are, what are their thoughts? 
they are so excited. And in Atlanta, we would say they are so crunk. And I really mean <laughs> that. They are just like, you go, girl. We are so proud of you. My sister, my mother, my great aunts have all passed away. These were my grandmother's sisters. Um, yeah. But they live in my heart. You know, their pictures will go with me. One of their quilts will go with me. Like, again, I said, and I meant this. Earlier, when I even got the call and, and, and was able to do the interview at Long Island, I said, look, regardless of what y'all do, I have won. Thank you, Jesus. Like, I really meant that I was OK with not getting the position because there's no way they could have even envisioned being in these spaces like at all. And here I am, you know, this little black girl from the South, essentially, that made it, that failed out of college has been fired from a job, not the airports, but I'm just saying like everything that people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be able to get that. You have to have this perfect track to get to these high places. No, you don't. You just need to be honest. You need to be yourself and you need to just own who you are and just, you know, be comfortable with that. And you can get anywhere you want to be. You really can. And it does matter when there is someone in that room to speak up for you. It really does. It does. It definitely does. And that I think there are so many lessons in what you just said, including um, the fact that I I don't think I've ever interviewed anybody, Abra, whose line was a straight and direct path from one point to another that they were aiming for. It's always circuitous and we learn as we go. And I always think that I see the universe's hand in guiding us, like closing doors that we're not supposed to walk through and opening the ones that we are supposed to walk through, at, at least in time. And the, you know, the 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 last point you made about um, having someone there to stand up for you, that if we can recognize that in our own lives and then turn around and pay that forward to, to the other people coming behind us, no matter how old they may be, it could be, you know, an older person who's just entering whatever arena we're talking about. And um, being that person that holds the door open for others, I think is really pretty important. It is. It really, really is. And I, definitely feel like I win when I go do a speaking engagement and, you know, a young woman of color or young man of color or whoever, whoever is the person that feels left out in the room comes up to me and says, you know what? I want to do what you do too, because I know what it's like to feel ignored. I think we all do. I know what it's like to not even know that you can do this career. And it doesn't feel good at all. You know, and no one wants to feel like that. But when you have someone, you know, in front of you to saying, look, Yes, you can struggle. I struggle too. Yes, you can do these things. And I am still insecure about it. I still suffer from imposter syndrome. But you know what? I keep moving forward every day. I think that's just really what people, regardless if they're 99 or nine, they just want to hear, like, just keep mm -hmm. going. Just keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Yep. So we started off the conversation and you said you were, you know, getting ready to move from your warm, sunny Georgia up to the, the, the colder, grayer north, although you are going in summer, so it'll be beautiful. But is there, you know, is there anything you'd like to add about, uh, about the importance of these things in, in life and maybe, I don't know, the plants and, and atmosphere of Georgia you're going to miss, uh, Anything you'd like to add, Abra? Um, yeah, you know, honestly, I think the biggest thing is, is hokey as it sounds, I think I'm going to miss the accents. I'm going to miss my little Southern accents around me <laughs> all day, every day, because there's so much warmth to that. You know, the food, I can cook that on my own. But I am super excited, even though I did say I'm going to miss my warm Georgia. You know, it basically, you know, it's mild winters and long growing seasons here, right? 
I I look forward to the winter there. Like I really look forward to seeing like snow snow. We're in Atlanta, you know, we have a, a apocalypse, snow apocalypse once every five years. So I'm very interested to just see that different, you know, contrast in the garden and really see it. Um, I, I just also am happy that this has allowed me to be in this top-notch horticultural space as have so many of the garden tours I've gone on in my life. And these are spaces that we would just never even be in. I mean, so many people at just different, so many different economic levels wouldn't be in, but they're there for you and they're accessible. And so just me being there and being able to post from there, I hope people see it and they're like, I'm coming along with it. Like, I really want them to see it. And, you know, I want them to just inspire other people to be there and, and just feel welcome. I really do. So with that in mind, everybody should be following along to see this journey as it progresses, um, certainly on Instagram at Conquer the Soil. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today, Abra. It's been really, really fun speaking with you, and I look forward to following along. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I really appreciate you. This has been so much fun. To date, Horticulturalist Abra Lee has had an 18-year career in public horticulture. As a county extension agent, as a city arborist, as the landscape manager at two different public airports, as a freelance horticultural writer, influencer, and educator. As a member of the 2019-2020 cohort of Longwood Fellows in Advanced Horticultural and Public Horticultural Management, she aims to continue to work on transforming horticulture and especially public horticulture into an arena of ever greater inclusion and welcome. An arena where anyone and everyone can and should see themselves reflected and empowered. As she noted earlier in our conversation, we all garden, and there are endless connections between horticulture and our everyday lives, between pop culture and style and horticulture. It's a common ground she is cultivating. She states, quote, We are all one big, complicated family. No matter what might separate us, we're family nevertheless. So I love when people see themselves as a result of my being in a space, completely owning and reflecting my culture. I love when people see these commonalities, they identify, and they get it. End quote. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. For more information and many photos from Abra's life and work, see this week's show notes under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. While you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast via SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts so you never miss even a little bit of each episode. And that way, you get the bonus podcast break thoughts and information each week. Yep, go ahead, subscribe. The Cultivating Place team includes executive producer Sarah Bohannon and producer and engineer Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.